There is a divine design. It's written into the universe, into our bodies, into the natural world, and into the spiritual world. It's something that you can know, live, and it's something that can change who you are. And for the better, I would think. I mean, the divine design sounds like a pretty trustworthy brand, right? So it's got to do something good for us. Well, one little thing it did was act as the means by which everything came into existence. Yeah, come to think of it, how did what we think of as reality get here? Well, it turns out you can't separate the how from the why. And the why started its work on the spiritual plane of existence, progressing from the unknowable to the first emanation to the spiritual atmospheres to the eternal state of human receptivity. Okay, let's unpack that a bit. It's time to look at how God used a specific design to create heaven. Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg in Life. We're going to start with an easy question today. Just like, where did reality start? How did this thing that we're in happen? And I know that what now you're probably thinking is, okay, cool, this internet show that's not affiliated with a public university is going to weigh in on the origins of the universe, but I'm going to do you one better than that. I'm going to say that reality didn't even start in the physical universe. There were other layers, spiritual layers, that had to be created before that could happen. <laughs> so. Why would I say something like that? Well, look at, look at the title of our show. Do you think we named it Swedenborg in Life for SEO reasons? Do you think there's a ton of people out there searching for Swedenborg? No, this is a worldview we're going to dive into today where you had Swedenborg, who was this fascinating case study where you had someone who was very advanced in his knowledge of how the physical universe worked for his day, suddenly be, be given or be lucky enough to come into access to these spiritual levels of reality that encircle the physical one that we're in and be able to study that consistently, compare them. And for him, this was the missing piece. This allowed him and us by proxy to understand how the whole picture works. So that's what we're drawing from today. And Swedenborg asserts that Everything did start with a creator, a source of everything. Swedenborg wrote, if there were not one God, the universe could not have been created or maintained. Because if you don't have a unified operating system, none of the programs we see around us could function, could talk to each other. So there has to be this single point, not just starting it, but keeping things rolling in, in a pretty uh, good manner. So the other leap that Swedenborg makes is that this creator is not just a force, but is actually a person. And when I say that, you might think of, okay, well, we're people, we have this sort of funny shape that makes us people, but that's not actually the essence of what it is to be a person. The divine humanness, what makes God a person, is actually these three abilities that God has, which is the ability to love, the ability to know things, and the ability to put those two elements into purposeful action to achieve objectives, which is, by the way, what makes us human at our core. It's not, it's not our shape. It's not what memberships we have. It is these three abilities together, but God being the prime example that we all emanate out from. So this creator is a person who has infinite feelings of divine love. Actually, Swedenborg goes as far as to say, all the good feelings that you've had, you think about when you've loved something or somebody or there's something noble that's come through you or you've been moved by something, that we are feeling these flashes of that divine love go through us and all the wisdom 
that can course through a human mind. And everything we can strive for in knowledge is part of God's infinite store of wise thoughts. So you have these two elements that's sort of the essence of this creator person. And love, though, can't sit still. It has to operate not in a vacuum, but with an object of affection that it's moving towards. Swedenborg writes again in True Christianity, this vast system called the universe is a work connected as one thing from beginning to end because God had a single purpose in creating it. So what's the point of life? An angelic heaven populated by the human race. So a eternal state of mind where we are in this interconnected love for each other and this happy existence that we're, you know, kind of idealized in movies and things and feel like we're striving towards. That's the point of reality. All the things that make up the world are means of fulfilling that purpose because someone who intends an end result also intends the means to achieve it. So it probably doesn't seem like that as we push our way through this life and life can be a drag and it can be annoying and painful, but Swedenborg is asserting that actually everything is playing a role in getting us to that state of, of permanent, deep, peaceful happiness that is the point of life. And that's actually a very tough thing to do because everybody can make their own choices right? and, and can go and follow whatever they want. It's very difficult to, to create a system in which we can all be moved into this heaven and goal and game state. So only divine wisdom achieve the goals of divine love and the means by which the, pla- the plan, if you think about God sitting down and, and trying to pitch to funders, I'm going to make a universe and this is, I'm going to try to get everybody into this permanent state of love and truth and hope and everything that's good. They're going to say, well, how are you going to do that? Well, here's my strategic plan. And the strategic plan of God is what we call the divine design. So this divine design is the effort by which love is trying to lead us to the goal. And so this is present everywhere. It is present in the physical world. You can look at the way things are structured and see that divine there, divine design there. But what we're going to do today is concentrate on the divine design in the spiritual world. And there's two good reasons for that. The first one is the spiritual world is where creation started. So you can't look at where we are here without having the context of the source of this effect that we see around us, but also the spiritual world is the place where the goal is achieved. This heaven state that everything is trying to move us toward ha- doesn't happen here. This is a step on the way there, but the actual happiness itself is experienced in the spiritual world. So it's, it's, a, it's pretty important and it's worth spending some time on. So how did, now that we know why everything is, how did everything begin? It starts with what you could call an underlying reality. And Kara is going to give us some insight into what this, the nature of this underlying reality is. I'll be reading from True Christianity 18, which uses the term underlying reality. The Latin word behind that term is esse. It's a word used throughout the history of Western philosophy and theology to mean the essential nature or essence of a thing. The Swedenborg uses it just a little bit differently. The Latin word essay is just the verb to be. So it's beingness, isness, sort of actual existence itself. It's the very first core requirement or quality of anything that exists or is real. So here's true Christianity 18. 
The underlying reality of God, the underlying divine reality, cannot be described. It is beyond the reach of any idea in human thought. Everything human thought can conceive of is created and finite. It cannot conceive of what was not created and is infinite. Therefore, it cannot conceive of the underlying divine reality. The underlying divine reality is the reality itself from which all things exist and which must be in everything in order for that thing to exist. I feel like we got a problem because we were just saying that the point of everything, the point of existence is to create this angelically happy state in the human race. And that state comes out of our union with God, with our creator and all the love and wisdom from God coming into us. But we just heard that the underlying reality of God is absolutely unintelligible, ungraspable by finite human minds. So if we're going to get this project going, the first thing that has to happen is the Creator's got to manifest in a way that finite beings can perceive to some kind of extent. So Swedenborg describes this first manifestation of the underlying reality. He says, in the spiritual world, and what is it? Didn't we just say it's like a person or something? In the spiritual world, divine love and wisdom look like a sun. Yeah, like, like the sun that you can see up in the sky. So what, why would God appear that way? And what does that do for anyone? And how does that spiritual son relate to this human God that we just were talking about a scene ago? So here is more on how he describes it. The Lord from eternity, or Jehovah, brought forth the son of the spiritual world out of himself and created the universe and all its contents from it. That sun is not God. Rather, it is an emanation from the divine love and wisdom of the divine human one. The same is true of warmth and light from that sun. The sun that angels see, the sun that gives them warmth and light, does not mean the Lord himself. It means that first emanation from him that is the highest form of spiritual warmth. The highest form of spiritual warmth is spiritual fire, which is divine love and wisdom in its first correspondential form. So here's where we're starting to get to something that's cool about the spiritual side of reality, because there you have stuff where that seems like it's psychological. We're talking about wisdom, which is thoughts, and love, which is feelings, but they have this manifestation as an actual form, that there is in the spiritual world this marriage between what it just seems to be in the realm of the mind and objects. So there you could have something like love and wisdom manifest as something that can affect the things around it. And this is what goes on with each one of us, that actually Swedenborg talks about the feelings in our in our own hearts and the thoughts in our own minds actually being made visible there. You know, if you have a dream and there's some object in it that seems to represent something about yourself. But even with God, this can happen. And so strongly that it ripples out and affects everything else. And so this spiritual sun is the, the, the manifestation of this infinite love and this infinite wisdom radiating out into this whole spiritual universe, just like here on earth, all of our systems are powered by the energy from the sun. Everything that exists 
initially came out of this spiritual sun, but it starts its life, all, all matter, spiritual and physical, starts its life as this spiritual heat and spiritual light. And this is actually not something we have to look way back in history for. It's something way out there fl flying in the ether. This is something that we feel all the time. The, the love that warms your heart, that we, we talk about it like warmth. It's actually this spiritual warmth coming out of God's divine love. And when we feel like we're enlightened or we see something clearly, that is our minds feeling the rays of that spiritual sun. Just like here, you just think about the feeling of when the clouds move and sunlight hits the, some kind of beautiful scene in front of you and that, wow, that you feel, that is what is happening in our minds. We are accepting that light right then. It's happening to it's happened, it'll happen to you a few times today. So it's everywhere. And if you think about that dynamic of the, the reach of the love and the wisdom from this spiritual sun being out across everything, we can begin to grasp some of the meaning of this poetic intro to the Gospel of John, which is about Jesus' birth, but seems to be about these divine origins as well. The four Gospels record the story of Jesus, and Matthew and Luke, two of them, begin with a Christmas story that's well known with shepherds and wise men and so on. The Gospel of John begins in a very different way, and yet it seems to be about the way the Word became flesh, but it expresses it in very different kind of more philosophical language and some beautiful imagery. It goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So this version of the Christmas story is much, about who, much more about who that was who came into this world. And the things that it's telling us are profound. I should mention that people have often misunderstood this from Swedenborg's standpoint to be saying that Jesus was a separate person, like this, the word that's mentioned there was Jesus and that he already existed at the beginning of time and he was there helping God to do creation. With a few clues from correspondences and the symbolism, we see things in a somewhat different light, and we can get kind of an image of this divine human that was born into the world, and this phenomenon of the spiritual world that was very intriguing to Swedenborg called the spiritual sun. So let's look at a couple of these images. It talked a lot in that passage about the word. The word, Swedenborg says, means divine truth. If you're aware of Swedenborg's system, you have two grand things in God, love and truth, or what could also be called wisdom. And so it's very much focusing on the word, the truth side of this, and says that that truth was both confusingly with God and was God. So Swedenborg says this means that there was this underlying reality that brought forth something called the spiritual son which was an emanation of this love and wisdom. And that was the first beginning of materials to create with in order to build 
the universe. So when it says that all things were made by him, it means that truth or that divine light gives form to everything and the understanding of everything. It shapes it. The word became flesh means that when the time was right, God manifested in a physical human form in order to help us reconnect with this truth, the word that had always been there. And in him was life means that the divine love was present there, fueling the divine truth, just like the power in the sun. And that life was the light that enlightens everyone. That means that the divine love and the divine wisdom are united in what they're doing and working together in all of creation. Are you with us? I mean, this wasn't a concept that was easy for Swedenborg to get. He actually had to be taught step by step what this means. And angels were actually the one teaching him about it. And there's a really cool example that they gave. Because remember before we said God is a person and that we're all people sort of derived from that. Well, whatever's going on with God, you don't just get a telescope out and, and look at God. It's going on with us as well. There actually is this kind of emanation, you could call it an aura, surrounding every person as well. And as we saw in the beginning, the point of everything is to take us and turn us into angels to experience this heaven. So there are these auras around angels as well. And angels were explaining these auras to Swedenborg as a means to help him understand the divine aura. There is an aura of feelings and consequent thoughts that surrounds every angel, through which angel's presence is established for people both nearby and at a distance. This surrounding aura is not the actual angel, but it is derived from every part of the angel's body. Coherent substances flow from it like a river, and the emanations envelop them. These substances bordering angels' bodies, substances constantly energized by the two fountains of their life, the heart and the lungs, stir the atmospheres into their activities, and in this way establish a sense of the angels' virtual presence among others. The angels went on to say that all angels have this kind of aura around them because the Lord does, and that the aura around the Lord is similarly derived from him. This aura is their son, or the son of the spiritual world. Because the divine design is everywhere, and because our little personhood is connected or an emanation from God's divine personhood, you can see what's going on with God in what goes on with us at these little scales. So we've got the underlying reality, which nobody can see and understand and perceive, but then that moved into this manifestation of the spiritual sun, which is radiating out this light and heat, which is going to be what powers and creates the universe. But there was nothing initially to accept that light and heat. If you think about where we are here, the sun is, is shining down on earth and we are warm and it's bright. But if you just go up a few miles out of the earth's atmosphere, it's, we're the same distance from the sun, but it's freezing out there. Right? So the atmosphere of the earth allows us to accept what's coming out of God. So there needed to be something akin to spiritual atmospheres that would allow this emanation to be received. So let's look a little into what God did to create the spiritual equivalence of atmospheres. 
If you love someone or something and have some associated knowledge and a plan, it's crucial to then have a way to carry out the plan to express that love. Otherwise, the love and knowledge remain abstract instead of real and fulfilled. The same applies to God, the Creator. Once the manifestation of divine love and wisdom came into being as the spiritual son, there had to be something more. Swedenborg writes, there are three things in the Lord that are the Lord, a divine element of love, a divine element of wisdom, and a divine element of service. These three things are made visible outside the son of the spiritual world. The divine element of love through its warmth, the divine element of wisdom through its light, and the divine element of service through the atmospheres that enclose it. The third thing that emanates from the sun in the spiritual world is an atmosphere that serves as the vessel of warmth and light. And it emanates from that divine aspect of the Lord that is called service. In the physical universe, the light and heat going out from a sun have no useful effect unless there are planets and atmospheres to receive them. The same is true in spiritual terms. God created spiritual atmospheres so that God's love and wisdom could be received and do something. There are bodies of water and there are lands in the spiritual world just as there are in the physical world. With the difference that the bodies of water and lands in the spiritual world are spiritual. Because they are spiritual, they are moved and affected by the warmth and light of the spiritual sun through its atmospheres, just as the bodies of water and lands in our physical world are moved and affected by the warmth and light of the sun of our world through its atmospheres. So just as physical atmospheres make it possible for planets to receive the sun's life-sustaining properties, spiritual atmospheres make it possible for God's life-giving force to be received. Swedenborg writes, Consider that the Lord cannot make himself manifest to any angel or to us as he really is and as he is in his Son. This is why he makes himself manifest by means of things that can be accepted. The warmth and light that radiate from divinity as the Son cannot radiate in nothing, in a vacuum, but need some vessel as their medium. We call this vessel the atmosphere that surrounds the Son, takes it in its embrace, and carries it to the heaven where angels are, and from there to the world where we are. This is how the Lord's presence is made manifest everywhere. So what exactly do atmospheres do? In the physical universe, atmospheres are mediums through which light and heat can be captured to sustain life. Light waves and sound waves can travel, making sight and hearing possible. Air or liquid are available for living beings to breathe. Forms made of matter are held in place and together with forces like gravity and electromagnetic forces. The same is true in the spiritual world, where things are created out of actual spiritual substance that needs to take form to be held together and be provided for. In the divine design of creation, there was then a continuation of atmospheres becoming the atmospheres in the physical world. Swedenborg writes, since the atmospheres do diminish as they move lower, it follows that they are constantly becoming denser and less active, ultimately so dense and inactive that they are no longer atmospheres but inert substances. And in a physical world, they become stable, like the substances on Earth that we call matter. The physical level of creation is a dense and stable membrane around all the deeper levels, like the hard shell around a seed holding all the living elements within it. It's within the physical universe where human beings need to begin. It's where we put down the roots of a unique identity that will continue to grow and bloom in the afterlife. So you have all this emanation 
coming out of God as the spiritual sun. And we can think about it like light and like heat. But what goes above and beyond about this divine love and wisdom radiating is that it has information in it. And not just any information, it has the pattern of God or what we called before the divine designs, the plan, the blueprint for everything is in this emanation. Those atmospheres are formed in accord and by means of the divine design, and they are receptacles that can then accept this divine design as it comes out and populates them and the beings that live within them, like us. So you have this divine design imprinted on everything that's in creation, and the divine design, remember, consists of love, wisdom, and useful service. And this is that same humanness that is the essence of God. Swedenborg talks about it this way in True Christianity. It's important to know that everything that radiates from the sun around Jehovah God in the spiritual world relates to humanness. Which is just like, how, how could humanness be radiating out of something? As a result, all the objects that take shape there before the eyes are symbolic of a human being. So somehow everything is representing this humanness, but still, I feel like it's, it's a stretch. How do you think about something seemingly limited like humanness when, you, when applied to something infinite like divinity? We run into trouble if we try to think about a human God in terms of a limited earthly shape. This is from Divine Love and Wisdom 285. People might think to themselves, how can a human God wander from place to place through the universe creating things? But the God who is visible as a sun far above the spiritual world, who cannot be given any appearance of space, is not to be thought of in spatial terms. In that case, we can understand that the universe was not created out of nothing, but out of God, and that God's human body is not to be thought of as large or small or of some particular height, because these are matters of space. This means that God is the same from first to last in the largest and smallest things. It means also that this person is at the heart of everything created, but non-spatially so. At the heart of everything created. So God and God's body is the life force and the intrinsic pattern within everything that exists. Heaven was created to reflect and receive the Creator, and we can grasp that better if we think in terms of intentions and service rather than a limited physical shape. In the afterlife, everything seen and experienced helps people understand more about themselves and about the Creator. In heaven, we're going to feel a direct connection with our surroundings, and there will be so much to see and experience. This humanity of God is reflected in the highest heavenly level of our minds, in each individual angel in heaven, in each community in heaven, and in all of heaven collectively. Heaven in its entirety is a form of the divine design in its largest possible manifestation. In the sight of God, heaven is like one human being. The correspondence between heaven and a human being is in fact complete. There are no communities in heaven that do not answer to some part, some internal or external organ of the human body. For this reason, a given community in heaven is said to be in the province of the liver, the pancreas, the spleen, the stomach, the eye, the ear, or the tongue, and so on. In fact, 
the angels themselves know which specific area within a given part of the human body they inhabit. I was given an opportunity to learn about this from living experience. I saw a community of several thousand angels together in the form of one human being. From that experience, it became clear to me that heaven as a whole is an image of God, and an image of God is a form of the divine design. So this human pattern that we're seeing repeat across everything at different scales, this is the divine design. This is the effort of that, that everything is tending toward this humanness. But we got to remember what is really at the heart. Why do these things appear human? So remember, God has these three aspects, the love, the wisdom, and the desire to do something useful. That's at the core of humanness. And so we started with the purpose for all of existence, which was this desire on God's part, on the love in God's part, to create a heaven where people could be made happy, where that love could be shared with conscious beings. And then the divine design is the structure that wisdom built to make that desire a reality. And this is something that we can all participate as we make ourselves more of the kind of human that is in that plan. This is from True Christianity. Swedenborg writes, before creation, God was love itself and wisdom itself. That love and that wisdom had a drive to be useful. It wasn't good enough just to hang out and be super lovey and super wise. You had to be able to do something. Without usefulness, love and wisdom are only fleeting abstract entities, and they do indeed fly away if they do not move in the direction of usefulness. Here's a quick thesis on the universe. God created the universe so that usefulness could exist. That's the point. Helping is the point. When useful service results, love and wisdom take on a real existence. In that useful service, they set up a place for themselves to live and stay, and there they rest as if they were at home. We are that way ourselves when God's love and wisdom are in us, and we do something useful. Every time you get moved by love and learn the means and then act, that is us, a micro Uh, interpretation, I mean, or manifestation of the divine design. The reason we were created images and likenesses of God or forms of the divine design was so that we would be able to do God's useful services. That is why we exist. It's to be able to be part of actually maybe the principal means by which God accomplishes that design. So if you're ever feeling like, I'm not that great, I'm not that important, you are the means by which the purpose of the universe can happen. And actually, it's that that doing something useful that contributes to the good of all that, that moves us toward the goal of the divine design. That's what makes heaven heaven. That's what makes people overjoyed and at peace to be in this heavenly state because it's this constant uh, honing of this joy we get from helping others. So this divine design allows each of us to find a way to contribute to the whole, and that is something that is deeply personally fulfilling and makes this state of heaven that we get into. So doing the divine design is feeling the effects of the divine design. And this really comes to a head in the spiritual world. I mean, this is where creation started there, and that as well is where really we get to experience what the point of it all was. That we can go through life here and life is confusing and it seems like it's not building towards anything and why are we going through it? Really the spiritual world, the the heaven we can get in ourselves there and create with others, that's the point. That's what makes it all worth it is this divine design marching us towards this, this absolutely awesome future together as the human race.
So that's a spiritual world. It's pretty good. But okay, there is this world here. Why do we have to be here? And is it that you can see the divine design in this world as well? That's exactly what we're going to be looking at in our next episode. We're going to see how this physical level fits into the divine design. In our episode, the pattern of God has been built into the universe. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high-quality programming. This season, we're featuring the opportunity to support our newly established endowment fund for Off the Left Eye. Consider your ability to be a part of our growing family by going to otle.causevox.com today to make a one-time or recurring donation. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins.